Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We we're back um, watching some more Doctor Who because it's a lighter weekend for us. So look at us watching all the Doctor Who. All of it. Well, and by all of it, we mean one episode of The Mind Robber. I know, but we always like to start with one episode of a new story because you like beginnings. Mm-hmm. But uh, but and you've seen The Mind Robber before, right? I have. I was thinking I had seen it a couple of times, two or three. But now that I watch this, I'm thinking I probably only saw it the once, which would have been um, when I lived in the apartment I lived in before I moved here. So probably within the last seven years or so. Was it Verity homework? No, I don't. You know what? I'm not sure. I think I just watched it on my own. And and I th- I was think I thought I'd watched it again for Verity at some point. Maybe I did. I don't know. I feel like this is a story that Verity probably covered at some point. Mm, yeah, maybe. We've we've been doing now I realize that compared to Radio Free Scarrow, this isn't gonna sound like very much, but we've been doing Verity for over six years now. So it's really hard for me to remember what we have and haven't talked about. That's true. And you you know, you lived in the States when you first started and now you live here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it all jumbles together, I suppose. Yep. But I know that I've seen it before. I just, I didn't remember it as clearly as I thought I would. I was surprised by things um, enough in this first episode that I was like, oh, maybe I haven't seen this for a long time. Well, well that's good. Because I, I uh, you know, I like watching uh, all Doctor Who with you, of course. But uh, there is a special excitement in watching something that is either brand new or relatively new. Mm-hmm to you so i was kind of like like ah oh, so you've already seen this story uh so i get it'll be fun and stuff we'll watch it and talk about it and everything but it won't be 100 percent brand new for you but well you realize very soon we're gonna get to a point where well soon ish we're gonna get to a point where that's, that's the case because i've seen most of what's after this a lot of it yeah but not for quite some time True. and some of them for verity homework mm-hmm. like interspersed here and there um but anyway, uh, the reason I bring up episode one is because usually we like to watch episode one of a new story because, you know, we get the feel of a whole thing. But given that episode one of this story is basically because they chopped off an episode of the preceding story of the Dominators and had to write a new one, but with no additional budget, uh, this one doesn't feel like because um, nothing that happens in this one. Well, it's tied to it, but it feels very different from the story that's to follow. Yep, it reminds me a lot of The Edge of Destruction in terms of, you know, you just have your cast, you just have the TARDIS set. In this case, um, instead of the extra room with the weird, like, lounge chairs, Uh you have the weird outside that's just white or would be just white if we didn't have high definition DVD TV screen. Yeah, it's uh, the the DVD restoration is actually detrimental to the product because you can see the uh, the the baseboards of the cyclorama. It reminds me of when I was watching uh, in HD, I think the uh, War of the Worlds 1953 movie. Um, great film. But there's an iconic moment when, like, the alien spaceship sort of rises up out of the ground. I remember watching that years ago and going, whoa, that's so cool. And then you watch it in HD and you can see, like, 27 different wires <laughs> hoisting that thing up, which would have been lost in the in the smaller resolution or lower resolution, rather, in the olden days. But now, thanks to technology, we can see it for all its flaws. Yep. That's why I think, as we said recently, that CG is so important these days to remove stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um 
but that would be adding extra special effects to classic Doctor Who, and we don't want that. No, we don't. So this episode's a bit bonkers and crazy and neat and weird and fun, right? I love it. I think it's, I mean, I really liked Edge of Destruction as well. I think it's it's cool when we get to see just our core cast interacting with each other in strange circumstances mm-hmm. you know here they're in they're in danger and i've like I, I said i've seen this before so i knew that there was some story where there was lava coming at the tardis but i never knew why i never knew where that lava was coming from i had no idea so now that i've seen the dominators i feel like it's much more like watching doctor who in order is such a fascinating experience compared to the mishmash higgledy piggledy way that i have have done it so much previously um so it's neat to know why they're in danger um also it's like it follows very well on from the dominators to the way the doctor and actually zoe are just so fascinated with the uh with the beauty of the lava it's very much sort of like the doctor sort of getting caught up in the idea of a volcano is about to erupt and then jamie having to be the one to splash cold water on it be like hey you realize that we're right there where the lava is going to come and oh yeah and then same thing in the tardis you realize we're right here where the lava is guys wake up yeah Mm -hmm. he is the he's the the warning bell essentially yeah yep it's so simple only jamie could have thought of it ah tie back call back rather yeah um yeah and then it gets very well at first it feels like oh we're just being you know under pressure from from a volcano thing and then uh weirdness starts happening and then they you know the bits where they think they see their home city (laughs) i like that zoe just calls oh it's my home city my nameless home city yeah. yeah, that that always makes me a little bit sad. Like, give give her city a name. It's just, it seems weird because I wouldn't say my home city if I saw a picture of Edmonton mm-hmm. or Madison or Big Bend. Right. Like, you know, I would say where it is. So it just seems it seems weird. I don't know. Maybe in her civilization that far in the future that's just what they all do they refer to it as their home city and everybody just knows where everybody else is from (laughs) that's true names of cities have just been abolished and we just call them by their numbers or something like that but most commonly home city um what else about this episode anything i want to go visit zoe's home city it looks pretty cool it did look kind of cool for a drawing yeah, I kind of I want I want a version of that drawing so we can. <laughs> that would be it'd be neat. At first, when I when it first popped on, I thought, wait a second, did they use or reuse like an image of like the Dalek City Scarrow? And then it wasn't obviously. But no, I had that same thought yeah. too. I was just like, you know, futuristic cities. I think at the in the sixties, the idea of what a futuristic extraplanetary city might look like was mm-hmm. probably you know similar to to that. Yeah something that I'd want to build in like SimCity or something when they would sort of like, oh, now you can build like these big giant, I think SimCity 2000 was the one you could build like futuristic things mm-hmm. eventually as the yep. years went on and, and you could make like futuristic space cities and that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yep. But I do, I, I, I was very intrigued by the fact that they were both being tempted out by what they thought was their home. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that neither one of them was really believing the other one made me think that there's something else going on. It's not just pictures on the screen mm-hmm. and sounds in their head that they're hearing. There's there's some other force working on them because, you know, usually Zoe being such a creature of logic would 
say, okay, we've both seen different things. That means something. And she doesn't, she never quite is able to get to that point. In fact, she's so certain that it's her own home city and she wants to go to it that she opens the TARDIS and, and goes running out. Very impulsive for Zoe. One of her first truly impulsive moments, I think, in Doctor Who. Which I don't necessarily want to chalk up to her being impulsive because, I, like I said, I think that there's there's an external force. Mm-hmm. We know that there's an external force kind of working on the Doctor. There's a voice, there's a sound. He has to sit down in that chair that I can't remember if it was there before he sat down in it or not, uh, holding his temples. and <laughs> Chairs like things in the Doctor's pockets appear when they are needed <laughs> and disappear when they're not. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and I, I, I enjoyed Jamie and Zoe in in the white nothingness. Mm-hmm. That was fun, even before the robots showed up. Like I think just having them in nothing is such a trippy sort of sense of jeopardy and danger. It's unlike anything that we've seen before, and I, I thought it was cool. Yeah, it's such you know, um, Derek Sherwin, his era of Doctor Who. Some you know because he he kind of uses brute force a little bit to get some of the stories made and just sort of like say you know instead of like working with writers to uh, to story up to snuff and stuff he'll just take it after draft two and says ah to hell with it I'm writing this thing you don't know what you're doing and and there's a certain kind of you know with the invasion and the unit and like there's that kind of more straightforward mentality I find to his version of Doctor Who and then he puts together something like this Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting legacy is Derek Sherwin because this is one of the more surreal um, episodes and in the making of David Maloney who's directing his first Doctor Who here and one of his first TVs he goes on to have a pretty successful career with directing Doctor Who Um, he sort of says perhaps there should have been more of these kind of stories you know yeah yeah i i find that a lot of some of the most fun and interesting things that happen in doctor who and other shows is is when you are super constrained by budget or actors or you know leaving we'll get to that in a later episode uh Mm -hmm. like that that sort of thing you need to you need to kind of punt and come up with something creative in order to make it work and you know it doesn't always look great murka But uh, which one? The Merca. I love the Merca. But like that was that was con- time constraints um, and and budget constraints not uh, not working out so great. But we'll get to that. We will get to that in a couple of years, several several years. Anyway, uh, but here I think I think when you're sort of constrained from the ground up, mm-hmm. like this was this was an episode that in its conception they knew that they had nothing. So it's not like they were reaching high and then discovered that they didn't have the uh, the wherewithal to make it happen. Right. They knew what they had to work with mm-hmm. and what they had to work with was diddly and squat yep. and started from there. And I think that's that's some of my favorite kind of stuff is, is where you're just starting off from, from nothing and having to make that into something. And it really, really leans heavily on the actors. And I think that this is, this is such a great TARDIS team. These three together, uh, I mean, they're all individually great performers and they play off of each other so well that it's, it's a kind of a perfect time for an episode like this. It is. And it, it wasn't according to Patrick Trouton because he, 
was sort of like he was nearing the end of his tether at this point in regards mm-hmm. to Doctor Who. Like he felt he was overworked with uh, when he was talking with Barry Letster in the making of Enemy of the World. And they thought, you know what, we should do like shorter seasons and stuff, which they eventually would do. Um, this is the last story in production of a massive production block that dates back to the abominable snowmen. Mm-hmm. And when this episode came, dropped on their lap and they realized that, oh, it's just the three of us, we have to carry this whole episode, they basically led by trout and said no (laughs) we're like kind of having a mini mini strike here and that you've got to shorten the episodes then you know make the workload less on us because we're getting overworked here and so this episode was 21 minutes and change all five of these episodes are around 20 minutes as opposed to usually 25 minutes in fact i think episode five is like 19 minutes no 18 minutes and 58 seconds, something like that, like less than 20 minutes. I think it's the shortest Doctor Who episode ever made is episode five because they were basically saying, you know, we'll do this extra episode, but you've got to lop off basically five minutes of the other four episodes to kind of make up for it. Wow. Okay, well, I still stand by what I say in terms of them being excellent (laughs) actors and it it being a a good TARDIS crew for this type of an episode to happen but Mm -hmm. but yes that is definitely some context and that it sucks for them so I guess I'm glad that they were able to negotiate the uh the shorter episodes even though that means less of a story that I really enjoy but uh but good for them yeah yeah I think it um and I think as we as we'll find out it'll it'll be a good story because we both like the story and it's um very intriguing I I think this one kind of reminds me of Pizza Pops now too so maybe before we watch another one (laughs) Or sometime before the story is out. Mm-hmm. I must have been having pizza pops that day and watching like the first couple episodes <laughs> of what I knew to be as the Trouton Run at that point. Um, anything else about uh, Mind Robber Episode 1? Um, well, there's robots in it. There's Yeah, there's white robots which were painted from... There's uh, black robot costumes found in stock from a previous uh, production, I think, Out of the Unknown. And you know what I would like to see? I know I've seen people wear the spangly cat suit Mm -hmm. as cosplay. I would like to see a Jamie and Zoe cosplay with just the white because they had the white Mm -hmm. version. It even even had sparkles on it and stuff too and the white TARDIS. Those are like shocking visuals. That was was the thing that surprised me the most was the white TARDIS. I had forgotten about that Mm -hmm. and that's just, I mean, maybe at the time it was slight, like I'm sure it was still a jarring thing, uh, but now after... You know, fifty plus years mm-hmm. of seeing the TARDIS, and it's such an iconic thing. It is burned into my brain and my subconscious. Seeing it altered uh, was just a huge, huge shock to the system, and probably was at the at the time. I mean, we're six years into the show, and the mm-hmm. TARDIS has been the TARDIS all the way along. So to suddenly see it being altered—that's that's supposed to be home and safety and. Now it's not. I mean, at the very end, it's really, really, really not. It blows up. Mm-hmm. It bl- splits into pieces and the console flies off into blackness and stuff. What a shocking ending. Yeah, that's that's. this is one of the greatest cliffhangers, I think, in, in Doctor Who history. There, there are lots of good ones, but this one is is excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wondered how this one went down back in the day. You know, because it's all been like alien invasions and robots and everything else and base under siege. And all of a sudden we have this trippy, weird episode um, and, and then it ends. And I wonder what people thought. Probably kids were freaking the hell out. Mm-hmm. I would be. Twitter went nuts, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Pro- Proto Twitter. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Anything? Anything else? I was gonna say Proto Twitter was like the you know the, the the playground at school probably. Yeah. The teletype. People, <laughs> people send messages on teletype. I don't think so. I have no idea. I don't know either. Um. Is that it? Is that it? is that all for this one? Now I just can't stop thinking about pizza pops. I think we need to buy a toaster oven. <laughs> this, this podcast is costing us money. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please go to theincomparable.com slash members where you can sign up to be a member of the Incomparable Network, which is pretty great. You get some uh, some sweet bonus stuff every year. You get access to a couple of members-only feeds. It's really great. You get bootleg episodes of, uh, of, of some stuff. And uh, yeah, if you take the little box that says Lazy Doctor Who, maybe we can afford to get a uh, toaster oven, which John Syracuse has told us the toaster oven to get, and it looks pretty sweet. So um, help help us eat more pizza pops. <laughs> this is the most pathetic membership request I think we have ever done. But it's honest. It is. It's honest. It's just, and, and I don't even eat gluten or dairy most of the time, but I've made an exception the for thing. the holidays and this... Yeah, uh, it's almost still the holidays. It's still the first week of January. That's true. I think Ukrainian Christmas falls on the January the 6th, which is tomorrow. So so there you go. Please subscribe to The Incomparable and um, wish us a happy Ukrainian Christmas with your dollars so we can get a toaster oven. <laughs> the look on Stephen's face right now is, is is something else. He's just shaking his head at me. This this took more of a turn in this episode than perhaps the Mind Robber episode one did in Doctor Who. Okay. Well, until the next one, goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.